The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Hello and welcome to the Infertility and Me podcast. I am your host, Monique, and I thank you so much for choosing to be here with me and also letting me be a part of your day. I just want to send a special thank you to all of you who listen every week and who share the podcast with your friends, family, or whoever else needs encouragement and hope through infertility. You can connect with me at Infertility and Me underscore on Instagram, as well as my website, infertilityandmepodcast.com, where you can continue to connect and heal with me with your comments, your feedback, and also collaborative ideas. If you could do me the honor of leaving a rating and review on whatever platform that you're listening through, I would so appreciate it. It also helps to spread the message more of connecting and healing together. Today, we will have Blair from Fab Fertility joining us with her personal journey through infertility thus far. And I know that you really enjoy Blair. She's very real. She's very authentic like myself. And so I think this will be a great episode and will resonate with many of you. You can connect with Blair at fabfertility.com as well as on Instagram at fabfertility. We're going to get right into the episode with Blair. Thank you for your continued support. All righty. So Blair, tell us in the beginning. um, Okay, you you got married and everything. So had you always wanted children? Yes, I have always, always wanted children since I was a little girl. Like even like when my brother was born, I remember my mom my little brother, she got me a baby doll so that I could kind of play, play mom alongside with her and probably not feel so left out, I guess. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I have always, I don't know. I've just never really second guessed it, to be honest with you. I've always just known that's what I wanted to do. And that was, you know, a big purpose for my life. And so, yeah, I've it's just always been ingrained in me, I guess. Awesome. Awesome. And so how did you get your diagnosis? Tell us a little bit about your diagnosis and how that all started. Yeah. So my husband and I got married in September of 2017. So, um, for a lot of people that have been trying to conceive, we haven't even been married as long as some people have been trying to conceive. So we've, (laughs) we've been married about two and a half years and, um, we started trying right away. And I think, you know, with anything, you know, to go back to those days of ignorant bliss would be so nice (laughs) looking back on everything. But, um, we tried naturally for about six months before I was like, Hmm, not that I thought it would happen right away or anything like that. But I think you always hope you're always optimistic, especially in the beginning. And you think, Oh, it's going to happen for me. I'm healthy. I eat healthy. I take care of myself, like blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, Also, I'm just, 
I am so impatient. I've been impatient my whole life. I'm super type A. I'm always researching. So I knew that, okay, like there are doctors that will be proactive with me about, you know, starting to try to look in to see if there's any problems. I don't have to, you know, subscribe to the age old, like wait 12 months of healthy trying if you're under 35 before we start delving into your journey or into your issues. So I ended up going to my OB that I had had since I was a teenager, since I moved uh, to Austin for college. And she was like, I really think you should give it a year. And I just got kindly smiled at her and said, okay, thank you, Dr. So-and-so. And then literally as I was walking out was Googling other doctors. So I was just like, no, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to take, I'm not going to take no for an answer. So I found another OB that my friend had recently, um, switched to and um she really really liked him and she ended up having to be referred to an re and, and ended up having success with an iui and i was just like oh well she had a success story and they seemed to figure out relatively quickly what her diagnosis was so i go to this new doctor and we start running some tests and just kind of looking into me and my husband's health history um just like you know what our past medical history and my husband was like, you know what? He's like, I have this medical file that my parents um, kept on me like my whole life, just kind of like, you know, important things here and there. And mm -hmm. um, he's like, I feel like there's something about my genetics in there. And I was like, well, that's probably something we should look at. <laughs> so anyway, to make that long story short, essentially that um, letter that he was referring to outlined that he inherited a balanced translocation from his father. And what that means is we are all born with 26 sets of chromosomes and um, a balanced translocation is when one set completely flips, flip flops in the DNA order with another set. So his number ones and his number tens are perfectly flip flopped. So that's all fine and good. He's a perfectly healthy human being and any offspring that we have that do have perfectly flip-flop genes like that are going to be fine. But what, what happens when you're dealing with somebody with a translocation is that oftentimes that genetic material does not flip-flop correctly. Mm. And, um, a lot of people end up having repeat miscarriages and not knowing what's wrong. And they end up getting the diagnosis way down the line. Like they've had four or five miscarriages and they finally go to an RE, mm -hmm. they do some genetic testing and they're like, oh, well, this is why. So I guess if you want a silver lining that, <laughs> I, I, I guess, I suppose it's nice that we found that out in the beginning versus suffering a bunch of losses. Yeah. But the bad thing about that diagnosis was that that landed us like straight in the RE's office. So we've been married eight months. We're in the RE's office because really um, the, the way that makes the path to parenthood that makes the most sense for people with the translocation it, it is IVF. Um, so we went from getting married like six months prior to being told that IVF is our way to start a family. And then like two months later, we were starting IVF. It was like zero to 60, which I guess my personality kind of liked, I guess, because mm -hmm. I, I would rather... I, I would, I, I'm glad we got to skip all the stuff in between that could have happened. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we could have been heartbroken, you know, time after time we could have 
I had to go through the process of, well, let's start with IUIs or let's start with medicated cycles. But because mm -hmm. we had that information on my husband, we were able to go directly to IVF. So we started IVF in summer of 2018. And um, I'll just kind of do a little <laughs> infertility resume. because it's, <laughs> it's, it's like a lot and I don't want to bore your listeners, but no, we went, all, we, we went through our first round of IVF. We retrieved 34 eggs. Um, we ended up getting 17 blastocysts. Um, and when you have a translocation, the reason that you do IVF is so that you can send the embryos to genetic testing so that you can test out the bounce translocation so that you're not, uh, you're not transferring embryos that will, will miscarry on their own, essentially. Okay. okay. So um, we ended up from those 17 getting four genetically normal embryos that either had the perfect balance translocation or just didn't have, or they were just, no, just flat out normal. We did one transfer in August of 2018 that failed. And then, you know, which is kind of the, one of those things, again, the ignorant, ignorant bliss days, it's like, oh, golly, we have to do IVF. What a bummer. Oh, this is so expensive. But surely it's going to work the first time because, I mean, there's nothing else wrong with us. Um, <laughs> right. And it didn't work. And so that kind of, I would say, really kind of sent us back on our heels. And we we're like, wow, maybe we're in for a little bit more than we anticipated. So we did a second transfer of our second embryo a month later, and I got pregnant. And it was awesome. We were like, oh, okay, this wasn't so bad. I mean, it was like right, right at our one year anniversary. We were super happy. We saw the heartbeat, um, heard the heartbeat. And then we went on a trip for our, to celebrate our first anniversary and both of our birthdays kind of fall around our anniversary. So it was kind of like a triple whammy trip. We went to Paris and London. I wasn't really experiencing much of early pregnancy symptoms, but at the time I was only six weeks but I mean, I was tired. But other than that, I felt fine. I feel like <laughs> with IVF, you always feel tired. So I was like, yeah. I'm just going to used yeah. to it at this point. But uh, we came home and we went in for our like seven and a half week appointment and there was no heartbeat. And our diagnosis for that was that I had a subchronic hematoma, which is just bleeding in the uterus where essentially your placenta detaches and, and, it's very, very common in general, but it's even more common with IVF pregnancies for whatever reason. So, you know, of course, then you start playing the blame game. Like, should we have gone on the trip? Like, did I overdo it? You know, all that stuff. And, and it's just like a downward spiral. So at, at that point, we had two embryos left and we decided, okay, what else can we do to make sure that these next two have the best possible chance? And what we did was we did a um, ERA procedure and a hysteroscopy combined. So the hysteroscopy and sorry, I just, sorry, I kind of skipped over the miscarriage because like PTSD, but anyway, okay. <laughs> what, what I, what I ended up doing for those that are interested with that was, you know, depending on how far along you are when that happens, sometimes it just happens on its own and, and you find out because it's happening, which I can't even imagine that would be horrifying yeah. for me. Luckily the bleeding was all internal. I didn't have any signs of it. Um, I literally didn't know that's what had happened until I went into that appointment, but they, you know, were like, you can try and see if this will, will happen on its own, or you can take the pills that basically make your uterus contract and, and it, 
kind of jump starts the process mm -hmm. of of um, cleaning you out essentially, um, or you can do a DNC, which I wasn't far enough along to really need that, but they obviously give you the option if you don't want to undergo um, the, the miscarriage at home. For me, I decided that I was like, if my body's not already bleeding, I'm pretty sure just waiting even longer is not going to do anything. So I took the pills and I think it's a blessing and a curse, like with anything. The good news is I got to be at home. It was on my own terms. I didn't have to go into another procedure, but I will say like just waiting around for pills to kick in to, for lack of a better term, get rid of your baby is just really yeah. kind of like dark and depressing. It was a really hard time. It was sad. It was just like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've blocked it out of my memory, but I, I was just so shaken. Yeah. And at that point, I wasn't really talking about my journey at all. Um, you know, my close family and friends knew we were going through IVF, but I mean, I wasn't really broadcasting it at work or, or definitely not on social media. And at that time, when I, when I had the miscarriage, I, I just remember feeling like nobody in my life understood what I was going through. Mm -hmm. All of my friends, either the kids weren't on their radar or they had no problems, relatively speaking, getting pregnant. There wasn't anyone I could talk to, of course, my husband, but he didn't understand how it felt physically and emotionally from the female perspective. And so I turned to Instagram, which sounds so silly, but in this day and age, I feel like it's such a, it's, it's kind such of become a, normal. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a community. Mm -hmm. So I, I started my fab fertility account, which is what I have now. And I don't even know what I was thinking when I started, when I came up with that name, I just thought it was mm -hmm. catch, catchy and cute. And mm -hmm. And I just really started that started it selfishly because I just needed to meet some people who understood who were going through it at that time. My husband's not a huge talker and I just needed to talk to people yeah. and feel like I wasn't a failure and feel like I wasn't less of a human or a woman or, or whatever, because this had happened. And, you know, I felt like I'd let my husband down, my doctors down myself, all this stuff. And I just needed support. Well, so I, I received so much support and I've made so many friends and mm -hmm. I kind of, you know, when I pulled myself out of this dark place with the help of everybody in this community, mm -hmm. I was like, this is what I should be doing. I should be, as long as I'm going to go through this shit, I was <laughs> like, if, if I'm a, if I'm going to go through all this shit, I might as well mm -hmm. help other people. I, I don't want people to feel alone. And, and, you know, I was just, so thankful for everybody I had met. And I was like, I'm going to help other people. Like all this, all this crap, all this information that I'm, my brain is full with, I'm going to start sharing and helping other people like learn what's going on, you know, help them mm -hmm. navigate. And so really I was just like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I just kind of became obsessed with, <laughs> with, yeah, grow with growing my account and, um, you know, it all just kind of started on, on Instagram and, you know, now fast forward to what I was mentioning before in December of 18, we decided that we were going to do a hysteroscopy and a ERA, which for people listening that don't know, um, a hysteroscopy is just a kind of look up in your uterus, um, to make sure you don't have any scar tissue from a miscarriage or any fibroids or cysts or anything that could be hindering your fertility. That was part of it. And then the other part was a endometrial receptivity analysis, which is something that 
doctors are starting to do more and more um, as part of IVF. And what that is, is they essentially um, put your body on a protocol like they, that would mimic a protocol that they would put you on leading up to an embryo transfer. And instead of transferring the embryo on the day of transfer, they go in and take a biopsy of your endometrial lining and they send that off for testing. And this test is supposed to be able to tell you how much more or less progesterone your uterus needs um, okay. to have an optimal implantation environment. So for me, um, what the test showed is that I needed uh, 24 more hours of progesterone mm. to um, truly have the most ideal environment. So we took those results and we applied those to transfers three and four in January and February of 2019. Neither one of those worked. Um, those were both day six embryos. Mm. And um, so we were kind of back at square one about a year ago. And that was really hard because it's hard emotionally. It's also really hard financially. It's hard on your relationship. And it's like, wow, yeah. we have just spent so much time, almost, you know, nine months on this and we're left with nothing. And just realizing that you have to come up with the um, means emotionally and financially to do it again is, is really hard. And, um, a lot of people give up, you know, and I don't yeah. blame them. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, yeah. So anyway, we did round two and my body, I don't know if it was in a funk or if it was just like, lady, what are you doing? You just did an IVF egg retrieval and four transfers and a hysteroscopy. Now you're wanting to retrieve more eggs? Like, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> so we, um, we stopped and started a lot with that second cycle. Like they, it, for people that don't know, so the doctors can control your body. They put you on some sort of suppressing medication. Um, the most common is birth control so that they can kind of get you on like lined up and controlled on their calendar so they can basically yeah, use your right. body as their, their science experiment really. So I was on birth control for like three weeks. I think I went in for my baseline appointment, which is your first appointment to get the green light to start IVF. And I had ovulated through my birth control. So we were like, well, shit. <laughs> right. That's crazy. Oh so, yeah. So I had, we think that I was just on it too long and also that I was on too low of a dose. It just wasn't suppressing me enough. Mm. Um, cause what they found was they found a cyst. And when they um, took a blood test, the cyst was producing estrogen. So essentially it just meant that I had an egg in a follicle ready to be released. And birth control is supposed to prevent any sort of <laughs> release of egg into follicles. So it was just kind of weird. So then we start again. We used a different suppressing protocol. I guess that my body hated because when I started my stem meds, we only ended up getting like seven seven mature eggs, whereas before we got like 31. So mm -hmm. it was just kind of a head scratcher. Um, we only got two embryos from that round. We, they went to genetic testing and both of them had an unbalanced translocation. So neither one of them were viable. Wow. So we were back at square one again <laughs> and we were like, oh my God, like, can we really do this again? Is this insanity or, you know, and then yeah, not to mention yeah. the money. 
So what we ended up deciding was we switched doctors, which and clinics, which is a really hard decision because we loved our doctor, but we ended up moving to a clinic that has been around um, since the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really kind of the first clinic in Texas. Um, the doctor has been practicing longer than I was, that I'm alive that I'm going to. And so we just kind of felt like, okay, we have a complicated case. He has seen it all. Mm-hmm. Um, we feel confident in putting our care in his hands because obviously like we need extra, extra expertise here. So with him, our third round, we ended up getting, I had a lot better response and, you know, my ovarian reserve had fluctuated big time from the time we started to the point in time I'm talking about now, which is very interesting. The only Mm -hmm. thing we can point to is maybe it's my genetics, um, you know, just that that it declines quicker than some people's, um, Mm -hmm. which isn't uncommon. So third round, we end up getting 19 eggs, um, 14 were mature, which that just means they're, you know, mature enough to be fertilized via IVF. We got 10 that were fertilized, only two embryos, one had an unbalanced translocation and one was just abnormal. Wow. So three rounds done (laughs) and we were just like, oh my God. So that was in September of 19 and we were just, we were so fatigued with treatment. We were so, I was so physically over it. It takes such a toll on your body. You don't, look the same, feel the same. You're bloated. It feels like Mm -hmm. you're constantly restricted. Like you can work out, you can't work out, you can't have sex, you can't have sex. Like you don't, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Don't drink caffeine. Don't drink alcohol. Just all this stuff. It's like, okay, can I just get my life back, my body back? Like Mm -hmm. that would all be really nice. So what we decided was that we were just going to take a beat and we were going to get through the holidays and enjoy those, go on our ski trip with our family, enjoy our family over Christmas and Thanksgiving, and just give my body a break. And um, we did do a laparoscopy, just a diagnostic laparoscopy, just to see if I, maybe I had some, some hidden silent endometriosis that maybe was preventing the stimulation um, from going well and they didn't find anything. They found a little bit of scar tissue and my pelvis, which is very common and nothing that should have been impeding my fertility. So it was just really strange, just like really scratching our heads. So Mm -hmm. that kind of brings me to present day. Um, we just, we started our fourth IVF cycle with our, the same doctor that did the third cycle. Um, we did our retrieval, uh, about a week ago and we got, 24 eggs, um, 20 that were mature, 13 that fertilized, and we ended up getting four embryos this time that we sent off for testing yesterday. So we are super encouraged because this one round was better than the previous two combined in terms of my response, in terms of our blastocysts um, that we got. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so now we're just in a waiting period while we wait on the genetic testing to come back, which takes about a week or two. Okay. And if we have any normal ones, we will probably try to work towards transferring and just 
praying that round four is our lucky charm. If not, we have some decisions to make and some conversations to have about what we want to do next. If we want to do it again, if we want to look at some other options, if we want to take a break, like, yeah. you know, so yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's, yeah, it it's is. a lot. It definitely <laughs> is. It definitely is. You guys have been through so much, like, you know, many other people that we see and have connected with in the community mm-hmm. on Instagram and through your, in your podcast and such like that. Yeah, wow. Wow. That is a journey, Blair. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it is. Oh it my is. gosh. Oh but my gosh. you know, like I said, it's, you like to think, and it, you know, I'm not suggesting everybody subscribe to this school of thought, but you like to think that everything happens for a reason. I tell myself that just to get through this, to be honest with you, but yeah, yeah. I'm like, you know, this, this fab fertility account and everything I've been able to do with it. Like the yeah, and more, all, the, all the blessings that are coming through yes, it. Yes. Yeah, like yeah, the more yeah. I go through this, the more like experience I have to help other people is kind of how I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, like you, I decided, okay, I'm going to start a podcast. So I started my podcast summer of 2019. I, you know, have been really working on trying to write more about my journey, Mm. um, on my my blog, other people's blogs, being on podcasts like yours. Um, and just trying to spread the word and spread the love because I know this is such a lonely time and frustrating time for so many people. Just, you know, I know that you and I agree on that. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I just like um, what we were speaking about earlier and what we're beginning to talk about now, which is the importance of community mm-hmm. and, and how, and how just having just a, even if it's not Instagram, if it's a small Facebook group, you know, mm-hmm. um, small meetups, you know, like the rally that you guys are putting together, that's putting so many different people from different places together mm-hmm. in one spot. And I can just, I can only imagine what all that love is going to feel like in one building. Like it's going to be crazy, ridiculous, and bananas. all the time. <laughs> right. Especially if you throw a couple glasses of champagne. In I mean, there, you really, know what I mean? come on, you know, can't get any better than that. That's what I'm saying. And I just... And I just, so tell me a little about, a little bit about your experience with uh, connecting. You touched on a little bit a few minutes ago, but talk more deeply about your experience with the importance of community and how um, it has evolved for you over the, the, the time in the year and a half that you've had your account on Instagram Fab Fertility. Yeah, sure. So I would say at first I was really like, nervous to talk to people. Like I was nervous to ask questions. Like, you know, if I had seen people who had gone through several rounds of IVF and I was just on my first round thinking, how in the hell Mm. did they go through five rounds of IVF to get their kid? Like, there's no way I could do that. And I would just be really nervous to ask questions. And what I've learned is that no question is stupid. I have never, ever had anybody be mean or make me feel silly for asking a question or advice in this community. And so I've really just, I have, I found that I made a lot of very fast friends by being honest and open and real and um, inquisitive Mm -hmm. and, you know, putting yourself out there is scary. And because this is such a personal thing 
And so many people, and understandably so, feel like their failure in the fertility realm is a reflection on them being a worthy human or woman or whatever. Kind of like I mentioned when I was Mm -hmm. grieving about my miscarriage. And that's just not the case. Like, unfortunately, more people than we would like to know go through all of this. Being open is scary, but it, the, the reward outweighs the risk. And I would say once I started really putting myself out there, really, uh, you know, anytime I saw anything that I could relate to that someone was saying, I would respond and say, oh my gosh, I know exactly how you feel this and that really, truly talking to people in our community, especially on Instagram, like they were my friends. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have become really close friends with a handful of women that, you know, we just all kind of happened to be same place, same time on our journey. And we all just kind of hit it off. I mean, we text now I've met a couple of them in person. Um, I'm throwing the rally with one of them. (laughs) So, um, it's just, it's been like infertility will open doors for you. Friendship wise, career wise, like whatever, if you let it, if you're open to it, I feel like, um, absolutely. And it's hard to get to that place. It really is because I have so many people, I am sure you're the same that will, you know, they approach me on Instagram and they're like, Oh, I just started this account and I'm, you know, I'm keeping it anonymous. And how do you, how do you, how did you decide to be, you know, open and stuff? And it takes time. And I want people listening to understand, like, if you're, if you're shy or if you're not ready, that's okay. And, you know, but still, you can still connect with people without sharing everything about yourself. You can still keep it anonymous if you want. Um, I have so many, I actually, it's so funny. I, there's a couple of girls I talk to all the time. I don't even know their name because <laughs> they don't, like, I know them as fertility, blah, 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 or IVF, right, blah, blah, exactly, blah. Exactly. Um, and it's funny. I'm like, one day I will figure out who is behind that account. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, seriously, it's, I was talking with Alex Slate who her accounts rock by maybe, and okay. her, her and I do, um, she is co-hosting, um, one episode a week with me for like a limited time called, um, fertility fuck it Friday. Oh yeah. 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 I think I saw something. I think one of the, yeah. I was talking about it. Yeah. I, I definitely think I saw that. Yep. Yeah. So she came up with that hashtag, but anyway, for those people that are listening that are, um, wondering, and so, so many people too ask me, how do I get involved in this community? Like, mm-hmm. you, I, so it seems like, you know, everybody and how do you, you know, how do you get to a place where you're tagging so-and-so and saying, look at this so-and-so like, I knew this would make you laugh. Like, how do you get to know people like that? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, the advice I give, Oh, maybe that's what I was going to say. Alex and I gave this advice on the podcast was that, you know, start with searching hashtags, like hashtag infertility, Mm -hmm. hashtag IVF, whatever going through and seeing like all those various posts associated with those tags, start following all those people and then really just start engaging with them. I mean, start following their posts at any time that you can, like I said, that you can relate, respond to them. You know, people start to, you'll, you'll find a little community, you know, um, I'm sure you've, you feel the same way. It's, 
It happens really quickly. It it, it, it can happen very, very quickly. And it's so funny because I didn't get on Instagram, as everybody knows who listens to the podcast and follows me on Instagram. I've already had my son through IVF, but and that mm-hmm. was that was three years ago. He just turned three in January. And so I didn't get on and start openly speaking about it until after my journey. It took me a year after he was born to even tell people how he was conceived. Yeah. And so there has been a lot of healing that has taken place for me since I opened up the account and started talking about my journey, about what it was like for four years, not telling anybody about it. You know what I'm saying? And it was just, and I've had the account since like September of 2019. And I said, you know what? I just feel like I want to give back. And I feel like I want to make connections with women who are going through it so Mm -hmm. that they know that they're not alone because Mm -hmm. there are still thousands, like thousands and thousands of women who are on Instagram daily, but they're just like you said, too shy and just not in the right place yet where they feel like they can be open about what they're going through. And there's some women that follow me with their personal pages and the page is just private, but mm-hmm. they follow the account because they're going through it. And they'll, exactly. send me, they'll send me a message and let me let, and let me know that that's what they're going through, but I wouldn't know it otherwise. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of that too, I find as mm-hmm. well on there. And you know, the outpouring of love with things that I've shared about my journey previously and stuff like that. It's helped. It's even to this day, I find healing within the community, even though I already have my son through IVF. And it's just amazing to me. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that because I'm sitting here thinking about the people that I talk to the most and half of them are still on their journey, but half of them are on the other side of it like Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's, that's, what's so incredible. And, you know, I get so nervous about, or I, first of all, let me finish that thought. I think it's incredible that people like you who have seen, um, the other side, and, and I don't know if you're done having your, you know, done growing your family, but mm-hmm. you're on the other side of IVF with your son and the way your willingness, um, and ability to still connect with this community, I think is so special. And I think it really speaks to, what an impact (laughs) negatively Mm -hmm. and positively infertility has on people that you're willing to give back to this community, even though you could be like, okay, I have my kid Mm -hmm. onto the next Mm -hmm. phase of life. (laughs) I have so many friends, um, through, through this that are like you. And I think, and that's very much how I want to be. I get so nervous. People ask me all the time, like, what are you going to do with fab fertility when, you know, when, and if you have your, your kids and I'm like, well, I'm definitely not turning my back on this community. I mean, they literally got me through the hardest times of my like life so far. (laughs) So I I think it's awesome that you decided to start sharing after you had your son. And I can only imagine, I bet you probably thought I should have shared a long time ago. (laughs) Blair, let me tell you. Okay. Daggone it, man. I could have saved myself some tears. Okay. I could have saved myself some, a whole lot of silent suffering because I was the silent sufferer. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I know, oh my God, I could cry. I know all too well. Yeah. Mm. About the silent suffering. It is just, when you feel like nobody even wants to know what you're going through. Mm hmm. I'm it's, telling you guys, I know what it feels like. Yeah. I know what it feels like. And I knew that I had to do it. And a lot of people don't talk about it. And I hate bringing it up within the community because I, I like to keep it open. But I feel like 
I felt like when I started the account, I just felt like I needed to do this not for myself, but I needed to do it for other brown skinned women. Mm -hmm. And um, because the statistical numbers for the disparity between Caucasian women and brown women that go and seek treatment for whatever reason, because they're shamed and because they feel all of these different things because of societal issues and all that stuff, mm-hmm. which, you know, plays a part in how people respond to their trauma. Mm-hmm. And infertility is trauma. Infertility oh is my gosh, yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you go through PTSD, you go through depression, you go through you know, anxiety, all those th- anxiety. Yeah. people are on ma- medication for anxiety while they're going through treatment. You know what I mean? And then when you get pregnant, there's more anxiety. Am I going to lose this baby? You know, am I going to m- make it to full term? And so I just feel like if everybody can feel like they have community and we can do it together, mm-hmm. the impact is so much stronger. And then we will be able to change more laws within other states. You know, New York has, has done some things mm-hmm. here in Maryland. We've got a lot of laws covering um, insurance for infertility. And then Starbucks is doing a wonderful thing for their employees, you know, companies like that. So I think that by banding together, and then that's why I feel like people like yourself and other people in the community who are having these rallies and who are having women come together and men to come together because we can't be forget about our men either, you know? Right. Exactly. And, and um, just putting us all in one place because that's how we get the message out there. And I always say that celebrities are great when they tell their story, but mm-hmm. they, I feel like they have an advantage over everyday people. Oh yeah. You know, and, the, and it's so funny you say that, and this is like totally off, not off topic, but we did not talk about talking about this, <laughs> Right. but I couldn't agree more. I'm like, okay, am I so grateful that Amy Schumer is out with her story? Yes. Because anything that brings attention to the, the awareness yeah. to us is great. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, girl, we've been over here suffering for years. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) you know what I mean. It's like welcome to the club. Like, yep, this happens all the time. So I agree. It's like they have definitely have an advantage. Yeah, Um, and they have the financial advantage. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. You know, and 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 (laughs) it's just and I I, and that's why I started the podcast, like yourself, because you know you just want to give platform for information, for resources to have experts on, and then you also want to give everyday people a chance to heal through speaking it. A lot of people don't realize how healing it is to speak about the journey and then listen back to it. Oh my gosh. Did you feel like that when you started? Oh my gosh. Yes, it is. Um, and it's hard to listen back to it too. Yeah. Cause I the, the, think the first or second episode that I did, I talked about my story and, um, you know, and I think at that point we had just finished our first round. Like we were gearing up for our set, like our second round of IVF. And so we had experienced in this carriage. I had started fat fertility and we had done the third and fourth transfer that didn't work. But yeah, I mean, I was, I, I t- talked about it kind of how I did on this episode with you. And then I listened to it when it came out and it made me mm-hmm. cry. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. just I like, imagine, oh. yeah. I was like, Oh my God. Like, if I didn't know me and I was listening to that, just like anytime I listen to anybody else's podcast, I'm like, damn, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is so cathartic to talk about, um, your journey. I totally agree. And I talk about that in therapy all the time. I'm like, I am, I, I am healed through talking. I feel like, mm-hmm. um, putting it sometimes just even putting it into words, 
putting into words what you've never verbalized can be so healing. Yes. Yes. And let me tell you, I was not the, I don't have the personality type where I thought I would ever be behind a microphone in this way. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Just telling people all my freaking business, essentially, like talking and, and, and speaking in front of crowds I have done before, but speaking about your personal life, especially something that's going on within your marriage and your infertility and stuff and trying to have a baby. Yeah. That's something I never thought I would come out of the closet about, but I tell you what, I'm glad I did it. And, um, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people that are following your account are so appreciative of you just putting it all out there for what it really, really, really is. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. And your son's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> He's telling me he needs his diaper changed. Okay. <laughs> putting it out there, guys. He was just telling me he needed a diaper change. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. So, oh my God. I just, I, I thank you so much, Blair, for coming on and, and discussing your journey and then discussing the importance of infertility community. Absolutely. And, and making those connections because those are connections that last a lifetime, I think. And if there's anything else you want to say or give tips to people about finding community, you can do so at the, at this time. Yeah. So, you know, just a couple of quick pieces of advice uh, about your fertility is um, I cannot stress enough how much self-advocacy is important. There are so many steps in my treatment that wouldn't have happened had I not done my research, had I not talked to other women in this community and picked their brain about what had worked for them, what hadn't worked for them, um, and really pushed my medical team that I'm working with to, you know, do extra testing, look into something, do a diagnostic procedure, whatever it may be. Self-advocacy is so incredibly important. You know your body more than anybody, more than your doctor. Um, There's something to be said for listening to your body, for having a gut feeling. Um, I truly believe that. Ask, ask all the questions, never be afraid. Um, Nothing is, nothing is stupid. No question is, is too small, too big. Um, And that goes for asking questions to your doctors, to your spouse, to this people in this community, to your friends, to your family, just being, being informed is the best thing you can do for yourself. For community, I, um, I, if anybody wants to send me a DM on Instagram, my handle is at fab fertility. I would love to talk to you. I'd love to hear from you. Um, I would love to put you in touch with, if you have a specific need, like diminished ovarian reserve or PCOS or a specific diagnostic diagnosis, I should say, I can definitely point you in the direction of friends that I've made that I know deal with specific things. Um, so definitely shoot me a DM if you would like. Follow me at Fab Fertility. Um, my website's fabfertility.com. My friend, Allison Prado, who's the host of Infertile AF, the podcast. Um, and I, um, as Monique mentioned a couple times earlier, we are putting together a fertility rally that we're going to um, host in Brooklyn this year, October of 2020. We're nailing down the venue and dates now. We'll be announcing next week. Um, you can follow that on Instagram, which is at Fertility Rally, and then fertilityrally.com. We would love to have anybody and everybody. We'll be rolling out a bunch of info, but you can sign up um, for updates on our site now. 
And yeah, listen to my podcast, Fab Fertility. <laughs> um, I have so much going on. I feel like, uh, yeah, um, but, right. And then <laughs> we still have our regular work time, right? Our regular careers. Like, oh my God. I uh, know exactly. Right. This is, yeah, we both do this on the side, but um, it's a passion project for sure for me. I know it is for you. So I really appreciate you having me on. Oh yeah, it was it was definitely definitely my pleasure, and I'm so glad that we were able to connect and do this here. And I, I just can't wait for it to come out and for everybody to hear it. So if you're listening, trust me, it's it's you want to go back and listen if you couldn't finish it all. Go back and listen. Trust me, you don't want to miss this. And I appreciate you guys for listening. I appreciate Rare for being a part of today's episode and coming on and speaking with us and all of her information for the rally and for her faculty. Um, podcast and for her website and her um, Instagram handles will be in the show notes so that you can connect with Blair there. And then also you guys know how to connect with me and fertility and me underscore on Instagram. And I appreciate you for listening. Thank, thank you, Blair. You so, yes. Thank you so much. Thank